The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Happy Friday, everyone. Here are your headlines today. Wall Street gains for the fourth straight day in Asian stocks track towards their best week of the year after U.S. producer prices come in softer than expected. But the Fed's Mary Daly tells CNBC the fight is not yet over. There is no doubt that the good news on inflation is good news indeed, mostly for American consumers who are going to have some relief in their pocketbooks for high inflation. But I think it's too early to judge. JP Morgan and Citigroup are the start of earnings season and the first real test of quarterly sentiment. With the big US banks expected to unveil a jump in loan losses as higher rates weigh on borrowers. A three-year battle between Ripple and the SEC takes another twist after a US judge rules that a Ripple token is not a security, offering a possible supervisory escape route for other altcoins. The FTC makes yet another unsuccessful bid to block Microsoft's takeover of Activision Blizzard as Chair Lena Khan defends her approach to Twitter amid sharp questioning on Capitol Hill. Our focus is on protecting people's privacy and security. Uh, Twitter has sensitive data on 150 million Americans, including private messages. We need to make sure, especially given its history going all the way back to 2010, we're doing everything to make sure Twitter is complying with the order. Well, very good morning to you and welcome to Squawk Box. I want to run you through markets and the action that we've seen in the lead up to today's trading session. Yesterday on Wall Street, it was another strong day of trade. All three of the majors ended higher once again, so extending the positive run. It was the tech-heavy Nasdaq out in front, gaining about 1.6% yesterday. We had the dollar lose further ground uh, and, of course, this rally in equities after a slowdown in producer price growth boosted sentiment after the CPI print did just the same earlier. Earlier in the week, S&P 500 gained about nine tenths of a percent yesterday and the Dow Jones gained about 47 points. Nine out of 11 sectors in the U.S. market were positive in the session, led, as you can see, by the communication services basket of stocks. It rose 2.3 percent. Energy was the laggard, pulling back about a uh, four tenths of a percent in this session. Now, it's been a positive week as well. Beside me, you can see the week-to-date chart coming into today's session. You've got the Nasdaq up more than 3% week-to-date. S&P 500 is uh, up about 2.2% week-to-date. And the Dow Jones lagging, but still also positive over the last week or so, up 1.4%. In terms of Treasury markets, we saw yields move lower in yesterday's session with uh, spreads steepening. This morning, we've got yields moving higher across the board. The U.S. two-year Treasury note trading around 4.6%, the 10-year around 3.78%. And then further out the curve, the 30-year U.S. Treasury note is trading with a yield of about 3.9%. Let me take you to the dollar index. I think this is perhaps one of the most interesting pieces of the market, how the dollar has progressed over the course of the week. The dollar index in week-to-date terms 
down 2.6%. We are on pace for the worst weekly performance since November. So as investors have digested the inflation data that have come through in the CPI and the PPI report, they are uh, thinking about what this means for policy and anticipating that we may see the Federal Reserve uh, get uh, to breathe a sigh of relief a little bit sooner. And that's driving the dollar down versus a range of currencies. So here's the progression over the last five days or so. Yesterday, it declined about 0.8%. So adding to the overall retreat. Moving on to Asian markets and the action overnight, we've got some more gains for the Asian region as well. So following the rally on Wall Street, Shanghai Composite adding about a third of a percent, Hang Seng about a third of a percent as well. Uh, you've got the Nikkei 225 in the green, uh, but up just about 10 basis points, so a little bit more muted there. Opening calls for Europe. Here is the picture, uh, a little bit uh, muted at this stage, I would say. Uh, not a huge amount of action indicated at this early hour. A bit of a pullback in store for the FTSE 100 and the Zetra DAX. And U.S. futures. Wall Street is also looking at a fairly muted start to trade today after the positive run that we saw yesterday. We'll see if that holds. We are still, of course, a few hours away from the U.S. market open. Now, in terms of what drove the narrative yesterday, markets cheered the latest sign inflation pressures in the U.S. have calmed. Producer prices rose just 0.1% in June. That was the smallest year-on-year gain since August 2020. Meanwhile, May's revised reading showed prices actually declining by 0.4%. Markets are now betting July's Fed meeting will see its final hike in what's been its most aggressive tightening campaign since the late 1980s. Speaking exclusively to our colleagues stateside, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly welcomed the inflation prints, but insisted the Fed must remain cautious. It's really too early to say that we've declared victory on inflation. This month of data is very positive. I hope it's part of a downward trend in inflation, but I am in a wait and see mode on that because I remain resolute to bring inflation down to 2%. Two rate hikes this year is still a reasonable projection. It's for that very reason you said. It is it is a risk that we under-tighten. It's a risk that we over-tighten. And that's why data dependence, meeting by meeting decisions is so important right now. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, one of the Federal Reserve's most vocal policy hawks, is stepping down. Bullard will take up a post as the inaugural dean of Purdue University's business school. He is the Fed's longest-serving policymaker, having led the St. Louis Fed since 2008. Bullard will remain in position until mid-August, but will not take part in July's rate-setting decision. Michelle Bullock has been named as the next Reserve Bank of Australia's governor, the first woman to lead the central bank since its founding in 1959. She replaces Philip Lowe, whose term expires in September. He's drawn criticism for his guidance that rates were unlikely to rise before 2024. The central bank then went on to lift its benchmark rate from 0.1 to 4.1 percent in just 15 months, with further hikes expected. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has said that Bullock's appointment strikes the right balance between experience and fresh perspective. Major banks in the United States are gearing up to report quarterly earnings today. JP Morgan, City, Wells Fargo and BlackRock are all releasing numbers before the bell, with investors watching to see whether lenders can sustain their record net interest incomes. 
Expectations are low for this coming earnings season, with analysts from Refinitiv forecasting a 6.4% annual drop from S&P 500 companies. Let's get to Don Nesbitt, who is Senior Portfolio Manager at Zeigler Capital Management. Don, thank you very much for joining us today. Last time the banks reported, we had a market event. First Republic was in focus and ultimately did not survive. Do we have any concerns this time round that a bank, a regional bank, could lose confidence in the markets? Good morning and thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's really uh, kind of the fallout from the previous quarter that's driving a lot of the expectations and the results of this quarter too. Uh, with the recent uh, results of the Fed test though, uh, all 23 banks passed with flying colors. They were tested under severe global recession assumptions and they all came through. However, um, one of the fallouts of that is that shorter term, there's going to be a lot tighter lending standards. Uh, put in place by these banks, especially for the commercial industrial, commercial real estate areas, which have been particularly hard hit, um, somewhat more for the consumer, and also in the uh, mortgage market, particularly some of the non-conforming jumbos. Um, longer term, we're going to see more regulatory costs, uh, more M&A activity as larger banks gobble up the smaller banks. And um, basically, the one of the things that was interesting of this crisis is it highlighted the speed at which depositors can pull their money and flee a bank. I know a lot of central banks are watching that narrative very closely and looking at some of their stress testing models as a result. But as we take stock of where we started out the year and where we are now, do you think we are through the banking crisis? I, th I think we're through that. It doesn't uh, preclude it, some something else from popping up, probably the smaller banks. But as I said, the larger, uh, uh, more important banks are... Are, uh, are are very strong and and, and can, uh, have been tested for a very uh, uh, severe uh, under very severe assumptions in a, in a severe recession. Don, can I ask you about deposit rates? Uh, we know the banks are under pressure uh, politically to raise deposit rates to help transmit monetary policy into the real economy. Uh, what are we likely to see this quarter as the banks report, and to what extent are those higher deposit rates likely to eat into margins? Yeah, those net interest uh, income and the, and the margins around them, the NIM, are going to be coming under pressure. Um, higher deposit funding, um, it still is, is, is moving up, but it's still at a relatively low level. Uh, you can already see out in the, bank, in the banking uh, environment, uh, go to your local bank, you'll see very high CD rates and they're, and they're, they're advertising those. Um, that's kind of that's one of the main... Uh, uh, stories here for the first quarter earnings is the, uh, the the NIM pressure, and that will likely continue on uh, uh, for at least several quarters, especially as the Fed continues to rise rates and the uh, deposits uh, play catch up. The um, uh, referred to as the deposit beta um, is, is it's the rate at which the banks raise those uh, savings rates and deposit rates uh, to, to match the uh, the market. And what about credit quality? The Fed has been talking about the lag effect between when it raises rates and the impact uh, that those rate rises will have on the real economy. And most economic indicators have been quite resilient of late. Does that mean that in terms of credit quality, it's, it's likely to remain strong? Or are we going to start to see cracks this quarter? I think it's still somewhat strong. Um, however, in the next coming qu few quarters, you could start to see a deterioration. I mean, outside of the banking crisis, the other big uh, factor here at work during earnings seasons is the 
recession that never seems to to, to, to quite make it in to the uh, uh, the news here keeps getting pushed back. Um, banks have been cutting back their loaning activity. Banks have been shoring up their reserves. Um, and however, as uh, as that recession gets pushed back, and if we do start to approach that, you will see some concerns over credit quality. Don, let me ask you what's in it for shareholders at this point, because it's been patchy in terms of banking performance year to date on some of these big banking names. Uh, you're calling that dividends will still likely go up, but buybacks could be challenged. So as you look across the banking universe, what looks well placed at this point for investors? Um, yeah, um, the, the one redeeming factor here is that kind of giving the um, um, at best moderate growth here uh, or, or, or moderate earnings growth. And it's going to be a mixed bag. A lot of the, uh, a, a lot of the banks that are more sensitive to the interest rate raises are, are going to benefit. Uh, so there's going to be a mixed bag of winners and losers. Um, but, but, but uh, w- when you look at it overall, um, the, 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 the one compelling thing here is the sector has become very cheap. Um, so you're looking at uh, a, lo- a lot of this di- uh, un- unfavorable news. It's unfavorable environment has been built into those prices. And uh, hopefully it puts somewhat of a floor beneath the uh, stock prices. What can we expect in terms of dividends and share buybacks? Is that likely to be a feature this year? Well, the banks we follow, uh, six out of seven of them are already uh, uh, anticipating a dividend increase for the for the third quarter year. Um, buybacks, I think, are going to be a little bit more hesitant going forward until we get through uh, this uh, recessionary fears, um, a- a- until kind of we leave the uh, the, be- the banking crisis uh, far in the, in the rearview mirror and, and, and banks become a little bit more aggressive in uh, working with their capital structure like that. Don, I just want to pick through the investment banking side. Uh, A few wild cards over recent years in these trading portfolios. We know some parts of the equity markets have been performing. You're looking for that in these numbers. But equally, we've heard a little bit more about M&A from a very dry patch uh, over the last number of quarters. Just walk us through what we can hear on the investment banking side and what glimmers of hope you may see. Well, I think you're going to continue to hear that uh, it's going to be uh, somewhat of a dry patch here uh, again until these recessionary uh, fears abate, whether we have the actual recession and kind of get the news in or uh, as what's becoming a seemingly more probable is a soft landing or a softer landing. Uh, so um, until you start getting some strength in the economy, some confidence in the economy, yeah, the, the, uh, the investment banking is going to, going to remain a little bit soft. Don, thank you very much for staying up late for us. I gather just after midnight your time. We do appreciate you staying up for us. Don Nesbitt with us, Senior Portfolio Manager at Zyga Capital Management. On a thank programming you. note, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink will join our U.S. colleagues to break down the company's results. That interview coming up at 1500 CET. Plus, a little later, don't miss Citigroup CFO Mark Mason. He's live with Leslie Picker from the company's headquarters. That is coming up at 1900 CET. Europe, gearing up for the start of earnings season next week, will get numbers out of Swiss pharmaceuticals giant Novartis on Tuesday, Dutch chipmaker ASML Wednesday, and German software giant SAP on Thursday. A little look ahead for you. Coming up on this show, we'll be speaking to the CEO of Ericsson, Borja Ekholm, as the Swedish telco technology group reports its second quarter results. 
We'll also discuss a potential breakthrough ruling in the crypto space after a New York judge rules Ripple can be traded as a security, sending the price of the token surging. But first, we'll discuss the latest earnings out of the U.S. with PepsiCo and Delta reporting. This ahead of the start of the big banks reporting later today. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. PepsiCo beat estimates for its second quarter earnings. Organic revenue jumped 13% in the quarter, while net sales rose 10.4% despite slowing demand. The company raised its organic revenue growth target for the full year while also hiking its earnings outlook. CFO Hugh Johnston told CNBC that the company was optimistic about its performance despite higher costs. Our pricing and our commodities were basically in line with each other in terms of the rate increase. All the productivity investments that we've been making over the last couple of years are really starting to pay off now. And I think you're going to see a pivot for us toward more margin improvement as those productivity programs not only pay out this year, but pay out over the next five to seven years. Elsewhere in earnings news, Delta Airlines reported record quarterly revenue and earnings boosted by soaring demand for travel. The airline raised its full-year outlook, now forecasting a 14% jump in revenues. The U.S. carrier says transatlantic travel was particularly strong in the spring and summer months, with revenue on those routes climbing more than 60%. CEO Ed Bastian told CNBC that he expected the travel boom to continue. Momentum has continued to build, and you know, as we got into the holiday period, we wanted to make certain that we saw that demand strength continuing. We got a little bit of break on, uh, on fuel prices, but we closed Q2. The team did an amazing job delivering the best revenues in our company's history, the best profits in our company's history, all through the second quarter. It's been a big week on the macroeconomic front. CPI numbers closely watched, of course. We saw them coming off some of the higher-end numbers that the market's been watching for many months. And I think you've had two companies here, Delta and PepsiCo, giving us a read-in as to what's happening behind the scenes. I mean, one of the big stories we've been following has been that the travel boom, and apparently that's still been very big news. We've got further signals that's going to continue for much longer. You saw it in the numbers yesterday, what the airline had a 1% increase in revenue per seat mile, even as capacity jumped by 17%. So... Uh, one of the issues, I think, when you look at Europe is the capacity has been constrained, but in the, the United States, the capacity rose, but you still got the profitability metrics up. So that's telling you about some of the tailwinds for the sector. When it comes to PepsiCo, uh, again, the revenue numbers still rising. People are spending money on some of the stuff. They're not cutting back at some at this point. The resilience of the U.S. consumer in particular never seems to uh, surprise to the upside. And we've you know talked to so many consumer experts over the last several weeks on across street signs and I know you guys on Squawk Box and the travel sector in particular so resilient it feels as though even if Americans have to cut back in certain parts of their lives at the moment partly because of the post-COVID dynamic travel is just not one of them travel and concerts and experiences seems to be where people are still willing to spend 
big bucks, and we might not see the pullback for months or years to come in terms of what they're willing to sacrifice to to spend right now. Yeah, it's funny though, even on the PepsiCo side, you'd think some of the staples would start to be impacted, True. but we're not seeing it there either. So on many fronts, consumers are still paying more at this stage. Elsewhere, Germany is warning businesses to cut their reliance on China amid rising geopolitical tensions. It comes as part of its newly published strategy on China following months of debate in Parliament and as calls grow louder for European nations to de-risk. The document says Beijing is trying to change the rules-based order and creating tech and economic dependencies for political interests. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and China's top diplomat Wang Yi met in Indonesia on Thursday in what a U.S. official described as, quote, candid and constructive talks, the latest meeting between top officials in a bid to improve relations. France is celebrating Bastille Day today. Ahead of the main event, President Emmanuel Macron welcomed his guest of honour, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, at the Elysee Palace. Modi, who is in Paris for two days, will watch French and Indian soldiers march down the Champs-Élysées as part of the military parade. Earlier this week, New Delhi agreed to buy an extra 26 French jets for its navy and three subs, deepening defence ties between the two countries. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.